Hello and welcome back to Crime Notes episode 18. How are we doing guys? Enjoying the sunshine? I say that as it's literally raining outside and I'm wearing like four layers and it's dark so all the lights are on in the house. So when I wrote that it was obviously sunny. So how's the rain today? But it has been so nice to have sun and just go out without a coat. That's a nice feeling. So yeah. It does feel a lot slower and colder than last year because I feel like this time last year we were like sunbathing in our gardens. It was so hot last summer and we spent all of it indoors. <laughs> so yeah, bit of a bummer that more things are open now than they were this time last year and the weather's not great, but more things are open now than they were last year, so shouldn't complain. My week has been a bit crazy, I won't lie to you guys. It's my last week at my current job teaching. Um, in fact, by the time this episode comes out on Friday, it's my last day. So very exciting slash sad. I always get like rose tinted glasses when it comes to leaving a job. Um, like on my last week or so, I'm always like, oh, why am I leaving this? I know what I'm doing. I'm good at my job. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten used to the people. Uh, and I have to remind myself that no, you know, you're moving on to bigger, better things. So I'm currently dealing with that internal battle. I think it's just hard to change, like especially as an adult, like we get really set into routines more than I think we like to admit. But I've been in this current job for two years, which isn't a long time in the grand scheme of things, but it's been the one constant in the last year of fuckery. Uh, and I'm changing roles to something completely drastic. So I guess I'm just nervous about that, hoping I would do a good job but I'm sure I will get the hang of things. <laughs> and I promise I'm going to do my best to keep up with the podcast whilst I'm training for the new job. Okay, you know I'm going to mention this, but did we all watch Drag Race? In fact, if, if you're going to be upset about spoilers, you're nearly a week late, so shut up. <laughs> it's your fault. Simone won, and you know what? They deserved it. Like, I would have been super happy if Got Mick won, simply because a trans person to win would have been awesome. But the quality of Simone's outfits alone, and the performance, to be fair, their performance on the final, it was very deserving. But to be fair, the quality of the whole final this year was incredible. Like, one of the best ones yet, I'd say. And it's the one show that just gets better with age. Like, considering it's on its 13th season, that is incredible. And I think they're actually doing a Drag Race Australia soon, which is so exciting. I don't know why Australian TV is just better. Like, reality Australian TV is... It's just better. I think the people are just better. <laughs> I do have to quickly tell you all to watch The Gentleman on Prime. It's a film. And oh my god. We had a date night on Saturday, me and Monty, and I picked this film as it looked like something that might meet both of our varying tastes. Uh, I've spoken about this before, it's a problem. We really, really struggle to find movies or shows that we both really like. But oh my god. Oh my god, go watch it. 
I have never been so hooked into a movie and laughed so much. Like it's two hours long and I still didn't want it to end. It It's just, the way it's, it's just amazing. You just have to go watch it. And in fact, when it finished, Monty turned to me and said, that's my favourite film ever. <laughs> Which is saying something because he hates films. So trust me on that one, guys. It's amazing. And my last recommendation for today, I'm currently reading a book which has like really got me back into reading. I really struggled over the past year to get into reading. I think because to me, reading slows time down or like pauses it. Um, and I didn't want that to happen the last year. I just wanted to kind of skip ahead. <laughs> um, but I'm currently reading a book called The Dinner Date, I think. the dinner No, The Dinner Guest. It's called The Dinner Guest. Um, I, for the life of me, cannot remember the author. I think it's something Walter I will remind you next week um but it's a it's a crime fictional story and it's amazing I haven't finished it yet I'm so close to the end and we have no idea who the murderer is it's uh, uh, (laughs) I'm trying my best to solve it but I'm not doing too great so pick yourself up the book I got it from Tesco's. I'm sure it's in every bookstore ever. So do yourself a favour. And speaking of solving crimes, that brings us nicely, (laughs) nice little segue, to today's case. So today's case was recommended to me by Fanny, who reached out on Instagram at CrimeNoteThePod. So thank you for suggesting this one. If you are listening at home, in the car, wherever you are, (laughs) uh, and you have the perfect crime that you want me to do an episode on, just drop me a message on Crime Note the Pod on Instagram and I will add you to my ever-growing list. And I'll even give you a shout-out. So there you go. What more could you want from me? But before we delve deep into today's case, I must do my usual disclaimer. I do not intend any harm to the victims or families involved in these cases. These episodes are compiled with evidence that I find online and is readily available to the public. This episode contains content that some listeners may find disturbing, with talks of violence and murder. And now you have been officially warned, you can begin. And today guys, like I said, you really need to have your best thinking detective cap on. Because you got it, today is an unsolved serial killer case. Oh yes, you heard it. So get ready. Today's story takes us back to Glasgow in the 1960s, where Bible John, as they go on to be named, is still, to this day, unidentified. And our story starts on the 22nd of February, 1968, where Bible John commits his first murder. On the morning of the 23rd of February, a man was on his way to work and he discovered the naked body of 25-year-old nurse Patricia Docker. Patricia had a young child and was in the middle of a divorce, so was temporarily living with her parents. On the evening of the 22nd, Patricia told her parents that she was going dancing in the local town centre with her friends. This night in particular was at the very infamous Barrowland Ballroom. It's a local club where All young people go just to go dance and have fun, and this night in particular was over 25 single night. 
so the perfect place for newly divorced Patricia to attend. But Patricia sadly never made it home. Her parents weren't too worried initially. After all, she was an adult, and they knew that she had been with her trusted friends all evening. Patricia's body was found very close to her parents' house, so police believed that she was murdered on her way home. It was obvious straight away to police that this was a murder, and no accident nor random death. Patricia's body was naked, for one, with none of her belongings other than one of her shoes. Why is it always a shoe or a sock? I swear, guys, like, there's been a few episodes where it's just like a sock left on a body. Why? Not only was her body found naked, but she was on her back with her head purposely tilted to the right. Along with this, Patricia had multiple red marks across her neck, indicating that she had been strangled to death with what was believed to be a belt. Not only this, but Patricia had multiple wounds to her head, believed to be the result of punches and a struggle with her attacker. None of these wounds were serious enough to knock her unconscious, so it was clear her cause of death was strangulation. As if this wasn't horrid enough, Patricia had been raped. And an interesting fact to remember throughout this case is that Patricia was menstruating at the time of this attack, which later we find out becomes a theme, or a link between his victims. A fucking weird theme. Maybe he was just really anti-women, like just hated everything about the female body. I don't know, we get into depth about it more later. But poor fucking Patricia, honestly. What happened to her was horrific. Like, and beyond comprehension, the pain and the fear that she went through. But on your period as well. Come on, dude. (laughs) Next to Patricia's body was her used sanitary towel. Police know instantly that this is a murder and begin questioning the houses near where Patricia's body was found. Again, they have no evidence, no clue, no witnesses. They have nothing to go off of. At this point, they don't even know who she is, so all they can do is ask around. One neighbour said they had heard a woman shout, Leave me alone, the night before. Her body was found, but they were unable to account for anything else. So they begin to trace her steps. By this point, they have identified that it's Patricia. And they go straight to her parents to find out her movements from that night. It was here where Patricia's parents told the police that she had told them she was going into town dancing with some friends, something she did every now and then, so it wasn't unusual behaviour. They never knew exactly where she was going, She never disclosed the information that Barrowland was their location for the night. You see, Barrowland was known in the town for being a bit grim. Sleazy. Dirty. Like the pop world of night outs. (laughs) Don't come for me, pop world. I used to be a regular, but you are so grim. (laughs) So grim. Ah, God. Essentially, it was known as a place for people to hook up for the night. Which, to be fair, in the 60s? Like, I guess we were coming up to the 70s, you know, summer of love and all of that, but I still think it was very taboo back then. It wasn't until a few weeks after Patricia's death that police found out exactly where Patricia had been that night. 
They had asked around multiple nightclubs and dancing venues and nobody recognised her. And once they found out Barrowland was the venue, nobody could remember any events from the night. So this fell onto deaf ears and offered no proof nor evidence of anything. A few weeks after her death, Patricia's handbag had been found in the local river, meaning it had been ditched or discarded on the night out. Now, there was no reason for Patricia to discard this herself, so why was it there? However, Patricia's clothing and jewellery was never found. And with this, along with no forensic evidence left by the killer, it seemed like a random, one-off, sexually motivated attack on a random victim. So the case went cold for a while, as police had no idea this was about to turn into a serial killer case. A year and a half later, on the 16th of August 1969, an almost identical murder occurred, making the police suspicious. This is where 33-year-old mother of three, Jemima MacDonald, became Bible John's next victim. Jemima was a regular visitor of the Barrowland in Glasgow, and often went on a Saturday evening with her friends just for a dance and a good time. Her sister Margaret would look after her children while she got the chance to let her hair down and relax. So, as usual, on this Saturday in question, Jemima went on her usual night out. The following morning, Jemima's sister noticed that she hadn't returned home, but she wasn't worried. It was a regular night out. She knew the venue, she knew the town, she'd been with friends, and she was a grown woman that was capable of taking care of herself. It was also stated that it wasn't uncommon for Jemima to last-minute change her plans and stay at a friend's house. So with that, Margaret focused on looking after her nieces and nephews. By the time nightfall came, Jemima hadn't come home, and Margaret and her nieces and nephews were eagerly awaiting her return. This is when Margaret heard rumours from the local children down her road that they had seen a body in an abandoned house nearby. She passed this off initially as just kids making up silly lies, as did everyone else in the neighbourhood. But, as she put her nieces and nephews down for bed the second night in the row, she couldn't help but overthink about how her sister was missing. So in the morning, she went to check out this abandoned place for herself. And at the tender hour of 7am, she walked into this abandoned building to find her sister's body laying face down, battered and bruised. Next to the body were her stockings, and the clothes that remained on her body were just ripped and hanging by a thread. And just as Patricia had been, Jemima had also been menstruating at the time, and her used sanitary towel was found next to her body. Like I said, these two murders were almost identical. Jemima too had been raped, and had bruises and marks all over her head from being hit and punched. Jemima's cause of death was strangulation, but was later proved that her own stockings had been used to strangle her to death. Pathologist reports her body had been dead for around 24 to 30 hours at the time it was found, confirming she died on the night out, presumably after leaving the Barrowland to head home. Despite these killings being identical, police didn't put two in together for a little while yet. As Jemima's whereabouts was known on her night out, police immediately came forward to the Barrowland, where they placed a picture of Jemima on the big screen to jog people's memories. Police said all information will remain anonymous to entice people who were there on the night to come forward with information and in return they were promised their attendance would be kept a secret. Like I said, people didn't. 
people weren't a fan of the Barrowland and it had a big reputation so I'm sure people didn't want to come forward to say they were there and also like there's rumours that a lot of people went there to cheat on their spouses so yeah I can see why police did that that's fair enough and it worked two witnesses came forward to the police to help them with information on the night they were able to determine that Jemima arrived at around 7pm where she immediately got chatting to a handsome stranger at the bar they spent the whole night chatting and dancing and seemingly having a great time this man was well presented smartly dressed very handsome and local to Glasgow as they could tell from his accent he was described as slim and had to be around six feet tall with copper hair between the ages of 25 and 34. Jemima was later seen leaving the venue with this stranger. Many people were questioned about this mystery man, and eyewitnesses described him to a sketch artist. This portrait of the mystery man was posted everywhere, including the news. However, as these often are, it was useless. (laughs) It was a generic white man, so yeah, impossible to find because that was the majority of Glasgow in the 1960s. (laughs) Things remained a mystery for a while, and the town was quietly unnerved. That was until the 31st of October 1969, just a few months after Jemima was murdered. A man was walking his dog in a local field where he discovered the naked body of 29-year-old married, mother of two, Helen Puttock. It will come to no surprise to you that once again, she had bruises and marks all over her head, strangulation marks around her neck from her stockings. Helen was also on her period at the time of the murder and her sanitary towel was placed under her arm. It seemed to police that this was a purposeful placement of the sanitary towel. The last two bodies were found with the sanitary towel just randomly on the floor next to them, whereas this one was almost like it was placed there as a clue. Clearly this is a theme amongst all the victims, so I don't know whether Bible John was trying to like give them a hint make it more exciting for himself who knows maybe we will never know probably probably never know at this point maybe he is was one of those gross men that claim they can smell when a woman is on her period which firstly why is that a skill you possess or that you know you possess stop fucking lying (laughs) and secondly you can't even smell when you need a shower so do not have the audacity to lie to me and tell me that you can smell when a woman is menstruating nobody fucking believes you (laughs) i've literally had that experience at a tattoo appointment before where when tattooing me on my sternum so i was fucking topless he said i'm glad you're not on your period i can tell you know the smell And he got it fucking wrong because I was on my period. But also, what a grim thing to say to someone. But especially when they are in a vulnerable position and they are topless. What? Honestly. Don't, like, trust your tattoo artist, people. That's what I have to say. I didn't trust this guy. Turns out he's a bad guy. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that there. Anyway. (laughs) I'm not about to drag someone. Anyway, support female artists. I'm not saying female artists don't, you know, sexually make people uncomfortable sometimes. Of course, there are bad people in the world, but I've been tattooed by more female artists than male artists and I've had such an enjoyable experience with them. So 
there you go but also can we just appreciate like oh I'm glad you're not menstruating because that would be an inconvenience to me fucking men honestly men anyway (laughs) back to the case it's not like me to go on a tangent eh guys (laughs) I'm sorry I'm sorry there's no one else here to stop me this is the thing Helen was found with random contents from her purse scattered around, but no purse to be found. Just like Jemima and Patricia. There were multiple signs that Helen had put up a fight, scratches and bruises and multiple bite marks on her wrists, grass stains on her feet as well as a man's cufflink found on the floor next to her body. The police could not deny it anymore. This was a serial killer on their hands. They knew the MO was young women who had visited Barrowland Ballroom. They were all mothers (laughs) and they were all menstruating. So police went to Helen's parents to see if they could confirm her whereabouts on the night. And surprise, surprise, she had gone dancing to none other than the Barrowland Ballroom. This night she had gone with her sister, something that they liked to do often as a pair. They could keep each other safe and have fun. And as far as they were aware, there was nothing to keep themselves safe from. Helen's sister Jeannie had started chatting to a man in the nightclub, leaving Helen alone. That was until she met a handsome stranger who introduced himself as John. At one point in the night, the two sisters introduced themselves to their companions, which meant Jeannie was able to give a far more precise representation of who this mystery man was. She described him very similarly as the previous witnesses had. Very tall, handsome with copper hair, well-dressed and ever so polite. She even reported that he was so gentlemanlike, like would do everything by textbook, which is why it took her by surprise when this John overreacted to a cigarette vending machine eating his money. Apparently he lost his temper and became extremely angry and uncontrollable, Which, yeah, that's a random thing to throw in there, but this is an overreaction. And especially if someone has made the point of being really polite all night, you're going to take notice of behaviour like that. As the night went on, Jeannie, Helen and John decided to share a taxi on their way home, as they all lived close together. On this taxi ride, Jeannie learnt that John referred to the Bible a lot. Not specific references, like when people can recite, like, ooh, John 14, page, whatever. Like, it wasn't like that. She insisted that he referred to just stories from the Bible. Specifically, a story of an adulterous woman being stoned to death for her infidelity. And this is how Bible John got his nickname. Jeannie was dropped off first. She didn't think much of it. John promised to make sure Helen was dropped home safely. Which, as we know, wasn't the case. Jeannie was able to see the police sketch artist and recreate a drawing of him that was supposedly extremely accurate. And multiple tip-offs and leads came forward from this. Police ended up interviewing over 500 suspects, but none of them proved to be their Bible John. Rumours began circulating the town on this terrifying serial killer. Everyone was uneasy and rumours started circulating that maybe Bible John was part of the army and he'd left town. Perhaps he even died. Perhaps it wasn't all one man and there was a copycat killer on their hands. 
People grew suspicious. While all of the victims had started their night in Barrowland, they had been found in different towns in Glasgow. People were worried that the first killing with no witnesses of Bible John was in fact someone else, and the Bible John they knew of was a copycat. This got people thinking, well, how could one man know in depth the different locations of different towns? that were very quiet areas, such as abandoned buildings and fields. Maybe only someone with access to certain information, i.e. a police officer. The question was also raised about periods. How did this attacker know each of these victims were on their period? And what was it that motivated him? While it's important to note that I'm sure most of our female listeners will know... (laughs) Uh, In the 60s, sanitary towels were reusable cloths that hooked onto you via a sanitary belt that was around your waist. So it's totally plausible that maybe he would dance in the club with women until he could feel a sanitary belt around their waist. I don't think it's a coincidence that they were all in their period. Like, how could it be a coincidence, to be honest with you? Like, specifically in Helen's case, when the towel had been, like, placed under her arm. We've also got to remember that in the 60s, people talked about periods far less than we do even now. And it was probably, no, not even probably, it was definitely more taboo. And it's still fucking taboo now. It was often believed by Christians that periods were a symbol of sin. Blah, blah, blah. We all know the story of Eve being punished for taking an apple. (laughs) Seems like a pretty big punishment. Like for stealing an apple, if you ask me. But anyway... I'm obviously looking at this from a very different point of view. I personally don't believe in God. Uh, I respect everyone has their entitlement to their own beliefs and that's absolutely fine. I was actually raised Buddhist, which is more of a way of life than a religion. I also heavily believe in science, so I've got to kind of try and transport myself to thinking like a white Christian male of the 1960s. So, yeah. If I'm thinking as a white Christian male in the 1960s, yeah, periods are dirty and gross. (laughs) Like, I'm sure that's how men viewed them, because they still view them like that today. Police began theorising along with all of this as to why it would lead him to kill. As we know, there was a year gap between Patricia and Jemima. So they began to come up with the theory that maybe the intentions were to find hookups and sleep with women. But when he found out they were on their period, he killed them. Seems a bit drastic to me. Firstly, blood is just nature's lube. You can still be intimate. I can't believe I just said that on a podcast. Fuck me. Okay, right. Anyway. Okay. Surely you could just be like, oh, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Do you mind if we don't? Like, dick move, but, you know, better than killing someone, right? I don't know, guys. To me, it really seems like an MO. Like, he has some issues with women as a gender. Maybe even some mummy issues. Because all of these women are mothers. That seems really specific as well. Like, unless he knows them, how would he know that? I don't know. It's so specific. Maybe he was cheated on by a a wife that he had children with. That's my thought. I don't know. So please have their theories. 
religion and sex. Is it a copycat killer? Mm, don't know. And many years passed before police even gained a suspect. And I mean, many years. By 1996, police did have a suspect in mind, however, he was already dead. A 30-year-old army soldier named John had been rumoured to be Bible John. However, in 1980, so like 10 years after the murder, this John in question committed suicide. By the time 1996 rolls around and this theory is up and running, forensic evidence and testing is much more advanced. So, they test the semen that was found on Helen's stockings. They were so sure, or at least wanted to be sure, that this John was Bible John, that they exonerated his body. They dug him up to get DNA samples. And you guess it, it didn't come back a match. How pissed would you be if the police dug up a family member who killed himself 16 years ago to take DNA and it just wasn't a match? Fucking hell. I do hope whoever had to dig up and test his body got paid enough for that though. Imagine the decay. Once this fell through, there was one final suspect that still remains today. The infamous Peter Tobin. Peter is a convicted Scottish serial killer and sex offender. He is currently serving a life sentence in Edinburgh for three murders committed between 1991 and 2006. His final victim was a 23-year-old woman found under floorboards of a church. She had DNA left on her from her attack, which proved Tobin to be responsible. Police stated that this murder was done very smartly, and it was a miracle the DNA evidence was even found. He has a long history of sex offences and served time for these. Some of Peter Tobin's ex-wives even stated that when they were on their periods, Peter would get extremely angry and frustrated when he couldn't sleep with them with one ex-wife even reporting that Peter imprisoned her for a year and raped her regularly. Peter looked pretty similar to Jeannie's description from the late 60s, but Jeannie protested and was like totally adamant that Peter Tobin was not Bible John. As well as this, Peter was a known actively practicing Christian. So I don't know guys, there are a lot of similarities. Like a woman even came forward once Peter came into police knowledge that Peter had raped her in the Barrowland Ballroom, Glasgow, in 1968, the same year that Patricia had been murdered. Despite these similarities, though, there are, slash were, discrepancies between the two. Peter was around 5'6", not the over six foot described mystery man from Barrowland. Bible John's murders never involved weapons, it was all done via hand, whereas Peter's attacks and murders often involved a knife. Bible John would leave his bodies out on display, whereas Peter hid his victims. And I'm not going to go too much into the detail about Peter Tobin's murders, because who knows, maybe we could do a whole episode on that one day. Like, there's enough to go off of to make it into a whole episode. Many people, to this day, believe Peter Tobin is responsible. But who knows... During Peter's trial, police actually tested the semen found on Helen's stockings, but it didn't come up with a match for Peter. But in saying that, by this point, it had been a good 40 years, so it wouldn't surprise me if it didn't come up with a match with anyone at that point. The trouble is that these murders, there was absolutely no evidence left behind, bar some semen and a cufflink. This person, whoever they were, or are, 
are extremely intelligent. Like they're either super lucky and stupid or they're like dangerously intelligent at what they're doing. So there we go, guys. What do you think? Personally, I don't think it's Peter Tobin. While yes, there are similarities, I just feel like they could have proved the connections to that. If they wanted to, they could have found a link. I believe the person got away with it. They clearly knew what they were doing in terms of hiding evidence. And in the 60s, that wasn't common knowledge to people. Like, we know a lot about forensic evidence from TV shows and the internet is accessible. But in the 60s, think about it. Who has that knowledge? I really think this could have been a police officer. Like, I put my money on it. It could have been a police officer. After all, what is the best way to get away with murder? Become a police officer. <laughs> I'm joking. Obviously, I um, I said that to my parents the other day and they were shocked. <laughs> they didn't react well, shall we say. Anyway, guys, please feel free to drop me a message on Crime Note the Pod on Instagram and let me know your theories. I could even include them like some of your theories in another episode that might be interesting we could have a little chat about it but yeah there we go it's always an odd one covering an unsolved case because personally the reason I love doing this podcast so much is to delve into the psychology behind it all like why they murdered what led them to this essentially what makes a murderer I just love exploring nature versus nurture so when I cover an unsolved case I'm always just like but why? Why? I need answers. So for today's five random laws, I picked Scotland because what else do you expect from this episode? I think we've done Scottish laws in the past in a previous episode. So I've done my best to find some new ones for you. Number one, if a stranger asks to use your toilet, you are legally obliged to let them. Interestingly, this actually comes from an extension of an old Scottish common law requiring hospitality to be shown to all guests. So, I mean, it's an inclusion thing, which is pretty cool, right? Number two, if the head of any whale washes up on a Scottish beach, it becomes the possession of the king and the queen has possession of its tail. (laughs) What? Like, the thing that first comes to my mind when I hear this is that It must have been a pretty common occurrence for them to make a law out of it, surely. Like, how often are whales washing up to a shore in Scotland? I don't know. Number three, it is illegal to gamble in a library. I mean, that makes sense. Number four, okay, this one has recently been abolished in 2013, so that's pretty recent. But prior... 2013 in York actually it was legal to murder a Scotsman between Monday and Saturday only if he was carrying a bow and arrow what the fuck (laughs) I mean I'm sure that never happened so there was no like court cases well actually it was was, you know 5pm on a on a Monday morning (laughs) 5pm on a Monday morning. Wow. Okay, I need to sleep. (laughs) 5pm on a Monday afternoon. So I think you're fine by this law. It's allowed. That was fucking mental to me. 
Number five, and finally, any man that owns more than 12 sheep must prove that he is not a pimp. That's all the info I could find on that one, but says it all, really. <laughs> and there we have it, guys. Let me know what you thought of today's case. Thank you again, Fanny, for recommending it. It was very, very interesting. Your ongoing support is wonderful. If you wish to support me even more, you can do so by clicking the support this podcast button in the episode description, or you can support me for free by following on Instagram and sharing with your friends, sharing to your stories, etc. It all really, really helps. I hope you have a fab week and I hope the sun stays out for us. Who knows, today's not looking promising. (laughs) But it's not long until the next set of restrictions lift, guys. You're doing a fab job. Like, if nobody's told you that already today, I'm telling you, you're doing a great job. (laughs) So you're all wonderful and stay safe. I will catch you next time. Bye. Don't be afraid. Come with me.